What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita, back here on June 13th, 2023, for a special golf episode of the Jack Vita Show. That's right, we've got a lot going on in the world of golf. The live merger with the PGA Tour, U.S. Open coming up this week. Uh, everyone's been loving the golf series on Netflix. It's been a quite a year for golf. Like we're really crossing over into mainstream media more so than we maybe had in years past. But this is one of the craziest uh, stories that I can remember as it pertains to the world of golf is this merger. We're going to dig into it. And I have the right guy joining me today to discuss it all. Um, hard to believe it had been over a year since the last time we did a podcast. Life had just been flying by for both of us. But Garrett Powell, he's no longer talking about The Bachelorette. He's moved on with his life. And he's a golf pro in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Garrett, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Talking about something I actually know a lot more about than baseball in the Bachelor world. <laughs> I mean, you know your baseball. But this year, you've, it's just been... It's you've been busy. You you haven't been able to keep up. Yeah, a lot happened in the golf world too, which is great. It's uh good for the sport, good for ratings, good for everybody. All right, so we're not going to waste any time here. I know we've got a lot of listeners who are really. I think the best thing we can do is let's break this down and let's simplify it. Let's explain this merger for dummies because I think there are a lot of people that are saying what's going on with this live thing. How did we get to this point? I mean, because I was quite shocked at this conclusion, although Garrett always has these bold predictions. So I feel like Garrett may have predicted this two years ago. I All right. So the it over to you. PJ Tour has uh, been around for a long time. Um, they used to be an entity and owned by the PJ of America. but They split apart, I believe, in the mid 80s. So now they're their own separate entity, the PJ of America. Um Basically, hires and entitles PGA professionals. That's what I am. Uh, experts in the business of golf. PGA Tour hires uh, professional golfers. So you can be a PGA professional and a professional golfer. You cannot be a p professional golfer and a PGA professional. Profe uh, professional golfers make their money off of tournaments and sponsorship deals and stuff like that. PGA professionals like myself, we make our money off of teaching uh, running shops, uh, sales reps on the business side of golf, but we can also make our money as uh, professional golfers. <clears throat> so DJ Tour has been a big monopoly in the industry for a long time. There's always been talks of rival leagues happening, and that's really because, um, not really because players thought they were treated poorly on a PGA Tour, Um but I would also argue that players didn't really know how badly they were treated because there was no one that offered them a better solution. So Greg Norman um, has been heading up starting a rival tour since like the mid nineties. And he got uh, with the Saudis and started live golf. Um, I'm actually a big fan of live golf. I'm getting a lot of hate for that, but I like competition. I think competition only makes things better. And the common misconception is that if you are a player on the PGA Tour, then you're walking away with millions of dollars at the end of the year. And, oh, you play golf for a living, you're on TV. Well, it's a lot more complex than that. It is very stressful life. Um, I've got a good buddy who was on tour for years. His last big tour event he played in the 2013 Honda 
with Tiger in the final group. His name's Casey Wittenberg. And that year he told me he spent over $300,000 in travel expenses. And that's like, that's not flying private to every event. That's like the bare minimum, just how much he played on a global schedule. And you think about it. I mean, you shoot even par of the course of the year. You're not making much money on top of that. You're not making many cuts nowadays, especially. And so another thing too, is that the PGA tour owns the rights to all the players. So let's say the PGA tour has a photo. Let's say I'm playing on the PGA tour and I take a photo of me. And then I screenshot it and post my own Instagram page. Well, the PGA tour has the right to sue me because that is not my image. Even though it's of me, it's theirs. They own my likeness. And to me, it's not right because all players on the PGA Tour are independent contractors, which means that they are not being paid a salary by the tour to be on the tour. Now, they do get stipends for certain events. But Liv essentially came through and said, hey, we've got all this money. We'll sign you to a salary and you can win millions of dollars potentially each week, not only in indiv- individual category, but a team category. Basically, their their idea is PJ Tour is stagnant. We're going to try to spice it up a bit, which in turn they did. Um, and to your point about bold predictions, I mean, I predicted this as soon as it started because there is there was no way did. this there was no way this was not going to end in a merger. You have two giants like that who were counter suing each other back and forth, and there's no way that was not going to happen in a merger. Now, um, the way it went down, I did not predict, um, but in short notice, with Liv being in uh, serious competition, Jay Monahan, commissioner of the PGA Tour, basically took a stance that was anti-Liv because they have Saudi money, the Saudis mistreat all these types of people. Um, it's disrespectful to the families of 9-11. And he took this very anti-Liv stance, which I have a huge issue with. Um, number one being the PGA Tour, three of the top five biggest companies that back the PGA Tour have ties to Saudi money as well. So basically, it's a very hip- hypocritical statement. Um, that's the biggest reason, to be honest with you. Number two, I think if you are bashing an opponent or an opponent league, um, it just shows your own insecurity for your own product, which I think is very apparent because if you look at the live tournament, essentially how they ran all their tournaments and events, the PJ tour essentially adapted all of their policies to keep up with it. And we know imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Um, and then especially with this big merger going down, Jay Monahan unexpectedly one day, uh, this happened this past, I think it's been a week now, um, announced that, Oh, Hey, uh, we're actually going to merge, uh, with live golf. And he didn't tell any of the players about it. Now, I believe his intent was to tell the players about it, but it was going to get leaked first. So he went ahead and announced it on TV. Um, big issues with that because he has spoken time and time again how this is a player first league. So the players should be the first ones to know about it. And you have all these players that were offered not, not life changing money, like generational wealth. You know, Phil was paid $200 million to, to sign with Live Golf. And that's not a flat payment. He still makes money every single event after that. So his kids' kids are going to be good. Um, You got players like Rory Hideki Matsuyama, who was uh, rumored to be offered half a billion dollars. Tiger was offered $800 million to go to live. That turned it down out of respect for the PGA Tour. Then Jay Monahan essentially stabbed them in the back by merging this deal with Liv. Um, And the thing that really just grinds my gears the most is that 
one of Jay's biggest stances against Liv was that it was disrespectful to 9-11 families. Now, personally, I don't think it's right to bring those guys into any of this. Golf has nothing to do with that. They have nothing to do with golf. It's about golf. As soon as they signed the deal, there was no apology made by Jay Monahan to the families of 9-11, who he used to try to pin people against Liv. So he essentially used these innocent people that are going through very traumatic things still, you know, over 20 years later to try to make the PJ tour look good. And I have a huge problem with that. Um, obviously I've got an issue with all of this. So I just rambled for what, like six minutes straight there. Um, Perfect. But yeah. Had to get off my chest, I guess. <laughs> well, obviously you have a lot of thoughts about this. So, um, here's a fun question. I'll give you a chance to explain. Why is it called live? I'm sure a lot of people would like to know. You know what? I actually don't know that. I really oh, don't. I think I, really I know. Have no idea. It's, Tell uh, me. it's Roman Omer. Isn't it Roman Nomer? Ah, room Roman numerals 54. Cause they play 54 holes instead of 68. There you go. I actually didn't know that. Wow. How you about go. that? You know something about golf that I don't. <laughs> nice. This is what I, uh, I auditioned for sports jeopardy, uh, several years ago and they, they <laughs> someone needs to bring back sports jeopardy so I can put use. I need to do something productive and make some money off this knowledge that I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'll come back to you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> learn something new every day. So yeah, that's, uh, live is Roman numeral 54 and a normal, uh, you play 68, right because you play no sorry 72 and then 18 less than that so instead of playing four days of golf these guys are playing three days of golf so they're making more money and not having to work quite as hard they don't have to play as much yeah and so dustin johnson said it best in the netflix pga tour documentary about this is that like if you were working in insurance and someone was going to pay you more to work less it doesn't matter who the company is. You're going to take that deal 10 times out of 10 because it helps not only you, but your family. And now like your children's children. And it's all the stuff that happened, man. It's, I just feel bad because Jay Monahan's a terrible leader. He didn't own up to his mistakes through all this. And, um, you know, it just shows that when opportunities come, take them. So obviously there was pushback. We're going back in time now when this live thing really started to take off. I think they first had their first tournament. I think it was last year in 2022, I want to say. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was like about a year ago at this time, maybe a little, maybe a little longer than a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, but it's about a year ago. And obviously there's a lot of pushback. It was like you had to take a side if you were a golfer. You're gonna were you going to do the live or were you gonna do PGA tour? And I think correct me if I'm wrong, Garrett, didn't the PGA tour initially say if you t- if you do live, you can't compete in any of our events? They threatened to and then they banned at all players that sign with live. And again, it's like, you know, you're you're taking names like Dustin Johnson. Cameron Smith, Phil Mickelson, um, all of these guys joining this league, the the biggest brands in the game of golf, and you're telling them you can't play in a tour event. I mean, that that's just that's going to lead to catastrophe long term down the road, which, again, as a golf fan, as an avid fan, it's what I do for a living. Watching the PGA Tour without these big names on it became boring. 
I didn't. It, I would recognize one name on the top twenty on the leaderboard, and you have no personal interest because fans fans watch the sport not just to see a big name, but because they resonate with a certain player. Cam Smith has a mullet. People resonate with that, especially me, because I was in the private industry, this buttoned-up industry forever, but I had a very casual attitude as I worked in that industry. Cam Smith having a mullet might not seem a big deal, but like I resonated with him because he's on this very professional button-up league. I mean, he was holding the claret jug after he won the Open last year with this screaming mullet coming down, a very traditional tournament that he won with a mullet. I related to that. And that sounds ridiculous to a certain extent to people that don't understand, but fans relate to your story. And so when you take those stories away from the PGA Tour and you put them elsewhere, the PGA Tour is going to suffer from that. And it did, which is why they merged. And um, I mean, there's a few other things going on with their uh, tax exempt status that we can get into. But um, it's just it, it's been a dramatic two years, very dramatic two years. So they initially said no live at if you if you do live you can't do tour events at all but then they let them they let them play in the majors right they were allowed to play in the majors incorrect. but not any other tour events Well incorrect so the PJ tour has no they have no seat at the table for the majors so um, the majors are all ran by independent entities so mm. the reason why yeah. The reason why there are four majors in golf is because there are four governing bodies. So the Masters um, is ran by the Augusta National Board and Committee. That's one governing body. Uh, PGA Championship is not ran by the PGA Tour. It's actually ran by the PGA of America, who initially is who I work for, um, along with Pebble Hurst. Um, shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> You'll get a chance to promote it. Don't worry. The uh, the U.S. Open is ran by the USGA, the United States Golf Association, um, essentially the the rule makers, if you will, of the golf world. And then the Open Championship, which is essentially um, the U.K.'s version of the U.S. Open, is uh, ran by the RNA, the World and Ancient, in uh, Scotland. And so basically across the pond, the USGA version of the U.K. So the PGA Tour has... No say in it whatsoever of who can play. It's really those governing bodies. And even the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup is ran by the PGA of America, not the PGA Tour. So those players can play in the Ryder Cup. If they're allowed in the PGA Championship, then they are allowed in the Ryder Cup. So the Tour can't do anything with that. Interesting. Yes, that's right. I thank you for reminding me of how these majors work uh, and the rules with the, with the Live and the PGA. So, okay, so they weren't ever... The the live guys weren't allowed to participate in PGA events, basically forced everyone to pick a side. And as you were saying, Rory McElroy really was very anti-live. He took a very anti-live position. Uh, and I don't have any quotes of things he said, but he definitely was not fond of it. He turned it down. I mean, if you're Rory, don't you feel like you're duped? You were duped this whole time now if, if the, with this merger coming and after you took that strong position, you really spoke up for the PGA and then the PGA goes and makes this, does this deal behind your back. Yeah, the PGA Tour definitely did give him the shaft and other players the shaft too. Um, Rory's always been very outspoken. So I think the PGA, was, the PGA Tour was simply searching for a leader, a face to kind of put on this movement. Um, but what I don't get is that Rory, through recent interviews, even after this merger, is still 
not calling out Jay Monahan because hmm. that's who really duped him more than anybody else. Jay Monahan and Rory were like teammates essentially to put it. And Jay stabbed him in the back. And instead of saying, Hey man, like I don't appreciate what you did, what you, what you did was the wrong move. He said, well, I still hate live golf, which I just think is an egotistical move. And I think it's partially done out of ego and partially done because he's probably embarrassed. That he stuck up for this this whole time, only get backstabbed. Um, but yeah, it's not just him. It's it's multiple players too. Other players such as, well, Hideki Matsuyama turned down half a billion dollars. Tiger Woods turned down eight hundred million. Um, uh, Will Zalatoris, who is out for the whole year with a back injury, turned down one hundred thirty-five million. Um, in theory, if Will had taken that money and never been able to play golf ever again, he'd still have that money. Now he doesn't, and his. Uh, Futures up in the balance because of a back injury, which in golf is detrimental. Just guys like that. Um, Cameron Young turned down a lump sum. Scotty Scheffler hasn't been exposed. How much he turned down, but he turned down a bunch too. And so all these guys, and you have to think about, oh, well, they make enough money. Well, yeah, they make enough for themselves, uh, for their kids. But you're talking about generational wealth, something that is not easily achievable. And they all got duped because of Jay Monahan. So all these guys get their money from the live and they're set. And if you didn't take the money from the live, you're never going to get it. I mean, unless, unless you think there may be something going on behind the scenes of, Hey, you know what? We're going to, there might be some financial settlements because of these players that, that didn't take it initially and never did take it really. Well, I know. Well, because that live and PGA tour was simply combining entities. Now the li- li- they are going to offer players salaries to stay on the league. However, there is no benefit to offering them an absurd amount of money. Rory, who was worth $600 million is now worth five or one. I mean, there's where, where else is he going to go now? Nowhere. There's no rival league. So there's mm-hmm. no reason to pay him a ton of money. Now um, what you will see and I guarantee you this will happen in the future, are players suing the PGA Tour um, for essentially misleading them because the tour said this whole time, hey, if you if you stay loyal to us, we will take care of you. And nothing has happened yet. And I guarantee you the tour cannot take care of them like Saudi money could have. And as bad as that sounds, again, the tour, three of their five sponsors are backed by Saudi money. So it's essentially one and the same. So I, you're going to see lawsuits across the board um in the future i'm not sure when it's going to go down how it's going to go down but i know some players i've already talked about suing the pga tour yeah i think we'll see that too at some point so you mentioned the saudi money thing you never had really any hesitations with that or reservations about that no because we had a president george bush that invaded a country called iraq on false pretenses saying they had weapons of mass destruction and killed millions of innocent people because of it. And, you know, we're all wearing Nikes holding an iPhone that are both made by slave labor, yet we're willing to call these people bad people because of what they do. And it's like, I, that's always been my pretense is that, I mean, I'm not saying what the Saudis do is correct. It's not. But people are willing to turn a blind eye on what we do as a nation and point the finger at somebody else. And, that's my issue is that, you know, it's all, (laughs) it's all corrupt. It's all bad. And we have to look ourselves in the mirror first for point the finger elsewhere. That's my whole point with it. 
And how about all the money that the NBA is collecting from communist China? I wasn't going to go there, but now that you mention it, it seems like a good time to mention it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like, it, it's all dirty. When you look at it, people that are making this absurd amount of money, it is all dirty. And the more I research it, the worse I feel, man. Um, like we talked about before this podcast, it's, uh, I just think it was a hit piece put on by the PJ Tour because they knew they had an inferior product. And again, just bringing in the families of 9-11 into golf. I mean, that was just such a low move. And after the settlement, not apologizing for using them as pawns, when clearly that's what they use them as. That's an even lower move. And that's that just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. Dave Portnoy had a great <laughs> rant about it on his Instagram, and I absolutely agree. I won't repeat what he said. <laughs> you can go check it out for yourself. I absolutely agree with this sentiment with it. It's, I mean, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, and I think really, like for me personally, I wouldn't have an issue with him with uh, Monahan saying that had he stuck to what he was saying the whole time. But he sent he. He was it was hypocritical for him to say what he said and then merge with this entity because then you clearly it clearly shows that you never felt that way to begin with. This was like you said, they were you were using that as pawns as a way to try to take on this league. Now, I do think it'll be interesting to see how things go from here. You know, maybe he issues some statement of, hey, my mind was changed because of X, Y, and Z. But on the surface level, it it, it comes across hypocritical. Yeah, it's too late now. He, he's already had a press conference where he had the opportunity to say, listen, yeah. I, you know, it was about money. And I made a financial decision that was at the best interest for the league, the players, and myself. And I used you as pawns in the process, and I'm sorry for doing that. He had the chance to do it. Now it's too late. He didn't do it. And, I mean, <laughs> he had such a – I mean, I'm not a media guy. You are a media guy. I mean, as you know, I've spent time, a sm very small portion of my life, in the media. And for me to be as ignorant to this process as I am, it seems so obvious to me that that was the right move to make, yet he did not make it, which shows me the arrogance of not only him, but his board that he serves. And I, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. I'm still dumbfounded. It happened a week ago. I'm still dumbfounded. I have a background in media and also public relations. I've worked in PR too. And yeah. PR, I mean... It's, it amazes me how a lot of people do PR because there are a lot of people doing it the way that I would not do it. Um, but I think really the key for PR most of the time, if not all the time, is transparency. And when people feel like you're constantly... Because, I mean, obviously there's spin on everything. You know, PR, the yeah. sin of spin in PR. But when you're just blatantly dishonest... That's that's never the way to go about PR stuff. Nope. nope. So, well, the, the, this is going to be a very uh, an interesting time in golf. Um, before we kind of talk about the future, 
I'm curious, why were you expecting us to get to this point? You you predicted that this would happen two years ago. Well, again, so you have two leagues. One is gaining momentum. The other is losing momentum. And what would have put a halt in this is if Augusta National would have said, hey, you know what? Live players cannot play in majors. They didn't do that. And so, I mean, we like to say there are four equal governing bodies, but what Augusta National Board says goes. I mean, everyone's going to follow. They are the first people to try to develop a golf ball that does not fly as far as the current golf ball. They are the leaders in this industry, let's face it. Sorry, PGA, USGA, RNA, they're the leaders. Fact is. Um, also, uh, the World Rankings Committee had the opportunity to not include live players in the World Rankings. And that would ax them out. That would be, I mean, PGA had a big push for that to try to backdoor players to keep them from playing in majors to say, oh, well, live tournaments do not count towards world rankings. Well, again, that didn't go through either. And so at some point when you have two powerhouses, you're going to have a handshake deal in between. You're not going to have two rival leagues when, and that I guess that's my whole problem with all of this. If, if Monaghan from the get-go would have been like, hey, we welcome competition. We like what we have. We'll even coincide and have two tournaments where live players versus PGA Tour players, like uh, the President's Cup, which the PGA Tour does own. It happens on an off-year, Ryder Cups every two years, and between those are the President's Cup. Traditionally, it's the United States uh, versus Australia and Asia, um, basically the rest of the world besides Europe. Um, and it's been, I mean, ratings have been tumbling, and it's an opportunity for the Tour to pick that up and say, hey, we'll play the live guys instead of doing us versus the rest of the world but they didn't do that they took the stance where hey we're going to dig our feet in the ground and we're completely against this and i just think eventually when you have two leagues like that who keep suing each other and counter suing they're not going to keep counter suing for decades on end <laughs> they're going to merge at some point and i mean you've seen it <clears throat> i forgot what year did the nfl merge oh the uh the good old usfl merger yes it was uh i think or i don't think they merged they didn't merge but there was a lawsuit there was an nba aba merger though exactly it happens it, it's going to happen at some point because at some point the league that is gaining momentum live is going to get recognized by the pga as a it was already a threat but a serious more serious threat rather and the PGA is going to want to be a part of that. And, you know, the financial backings of Liv had, um, in my opinion, deeper pockets than the financial backings of PGA, which, again, was technically Saudi still. So, yeah, it was just going to happen at some point, man. You take two giants, they're going to merge at some point. I'm sorry. I I misspoke, by the way. The AFL, I was, you were speaking of when the AFL and the NFL merged, and that was in the yeah. late 60s. Yeah. That happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You weren't just making that up. I'm sorry. I, I was about I to just, say. I watched maybe a documentary. I, I watched a documentary about the original USFL like maybe a year ago. So I think that was just on my mind because they wanted to merge with the NFL, but they never picked up enough steam. They weren't able to. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, do you think that this live was a success from what they were what they set out to accomplish with creating this thing? Not just for live, but for golf in general. Um, I mean, without live, 
PGA Tour players would not have received um, huge bonuses and heightened events. They wouldn't have received certain benefits that they didn't have prior to that. And basically, that's why I like competitions. Like competition only makes things better for everybody. Um, so yeah, I think. I mean, right now, Live is the winner. PGA Tour technically are winners. DP World Tour, which is part of the PGA Tour network on the European side, is a winner as well because they all three merged. I mean, the losers are, frankly, guys like Rory and Hideki who didn't take the money when they had the chance to. Uh, I'm not going to include Tiger in that because $800 million is just another drop in the bucket for him. As <laughs> weird as that sounds, he doesn't need that. But still, I mean, like Hideki, you take $500 million and on top of everything else that he's made, I mean, that that's going way down the family tree. And I'm just, I mean, I would be just awestruck if that happened to me, if that was him. But yeah, everyone but those guys won. So I, I'm, I teased this at the start of the show. I mean, is golf back? Like, is golf really, like, are we on the up right now? Is golf becoming more and more mainstream we've got the full swing show on netflix which i know a lot of people watched i've seen a little bit of it and i've heard it was very good um i'm certain we'll get a chance to speak you'll get a chance to talk about that shortly um but then you've had this big merger which was one of the biggest golf stories like this is probably i think of this merger being the biggest golf story and this is going to sound bad but the, the last gigantic golf story was 2009 Tiger Woods getting in a car accident in the middle of the night uh, and having a situation with his now ex-wife. Um, so anyway, uh, going back to, um, yeah, is this like, I mean, is golf, are we, is this thing growing? You were talking a little bit about how this is a good thing for the sport. Well, so truth be told, golf's been growing in the last three years already thanks to COVID. COVID grew mm. golf 23% in 2020. And that, that is huge. Um, the private club that I was employed by at the time in 2020, we were on pace to increase rounds by 28% that year, which is gigantic. Um, so yeah, it, it's been growing ever since then. This is only going to assist in that growth, um, moving forward, but I'm curious to see exactly what's going to happen moving forward because of this merger. Mm. Any predictions now for the future of the sport? I mean, you always have these big predictions. Um, I predict, um, my pessimist mind, that 2024 uh -oh. will be similar to 2020, which means the game of golf will only grow even more. I'll Ooh. leave it at that. Interesting. Okay. All right. So, well, that's there's some good news and bad news there. Good news for golf. Uh, full swing. Have you watched the whole series? What'd you think? Yeah, it was awesome. It passed the girlfriend test. I mean, my girlfriend cried. I think it was episode three with Sahith Igala, who's a uh, PJ Tour player from, he uh, went to, uh, oh shoot, um, Pepperdine, California. And uh, Sahith Igala and Tony Finau, I think they both had an episode, maybe with different episodes, but Tony Finau's a big family man. My girlfriend, she cried because she was like, he's so awesome. And every tour event, she's like, how did Fina, how Tony do, how Tony do And I'm like, <laughs> you didn't care about golf before you watched this. But yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. I really enjoyed it. My concern would be with the, with the non-golf populace enjoyed it, but I had plenty of drama. And so I think they did. It was great. 
I love this. It's this is this is the new marketing tactic. Is first of all, it's Netflix. Netflix is a gigantic entity. Like you've got, I think, two hundred thirty million subscribers on Netflix. It, Netflix is pop culture right now. Netflix and it's it, pop culture isn't what it used to be. We don't really have central pop culture like we once did when there were only X number of TV shows on. Yep, it's not what it was, but. For what we have today, Netflix is this, the hub of pop culture as it relates to TV. And this Drive to Survive show figured this thing out with Formula One racing sometime yep. in the past five years. And all of a sudden, there are all these people that had, like, I know some people who aren't even, they weren't sports fans, but they heard that Drive to Survive is this great show. And now they're huge. Drives us. They're now Formula One every Sunday morning after church. They they record the race. They watch the race, and they're really invested in their favorite contestants, characters, competitors. And I think it's a really brilliant marketing uh, tactic. I think every league is going to want to get in on this in some capacity. Yeah, that was the Kickstarter. I watched a little bit of it too, man. Even I was like, I mean, I have no idea. Talk about a sport that I just know nothing about. <laughs> Um, I was captivated by it just because, again, people don't relate to like who's the winner and who's the loser. They relate to stories mainly overall. And Netflix gives the sport a platform to tell those stories. And whether you like or dislike people, I mean, a lot of people hated Dustin Johnson because he was one, like the first big name to go to live. But he told us out of the story. And it was interesting to see, you know, Brooks Kepka. he was on uh, the uh, Netflix documentary, too, and he did not have a good look. Now, reality TV background, I'm going to argue that was he's, if he was still playing on the PGA Tour, he would not have been given that edit. However, he was going through some stuff that regular people would be like, oh, you play golf for a living on TV. What are you worried about? Well, it's serious issues. It's stuff that, you know, no matter what phase of life may always get to you. You know, what is my purpose? What am I doing? That questions we've all asked ourselves before. Um, and again, as much crap as people want to give him for it, it was the insight to his life. And people resonate with those stories. That's why with Brooks winning the PGA recently, I mean, that was a big victory for him because everyone heard the struggles that he was going through thanks to that Netflix documentary. You know, so whether that Netflix documentary was trying to put him in that light to say how bad he was or not, it actually worked out the best for him in the end because he gained a lot of fanfare because they saw his struggles. And you don't see that day to day. People resonate with stories, man. So I had the idea. I was out at spring training. Tell a little story here. So I'm out at spring training and. I spent this past March, basically every single weekday, I was at a different spring training camp. And I was in the clubhouse. I was on the backfields talking to players, watching them. Like I talk, I watched Cole Hamels throw a bullpen session with the Padres. He's trying to hang in there. So one day I was at Mariners camp and Mariners camp just felt like I was watching a TV show. And I had this inspiration. I'm like, they need to do a hard knocks major league baseball spring training show, spend spring train the whole spring training with one team. And it's a little different from hard knocks because hard knocks, there's a little more of like, if you get caught, it's kind of like that. It's more of a final thing where in 
baseball, you could get sent down to the AAA and there's, there's some of that, but at the same time, I mean, there's so much drama and there's so many characters. You got so many international players. You've got Tommy LaStella at the time was trying to compete for a roster spot and he had a gigantic wrap on his shoulder because he couldn't throw and he's towards maybe the end of his career. Lots of injuries, proven veteran. You had um, Taylor Trammell and all these young kids that I'm talking to that are excited and itching for their big opportunities. Great characters. And then the final, like when it finally dawned on me that this needs to be a show was when Ichiro was, I met Ichiro and Ichiro was working out with the team every single day as a spring training instructor. And Dave Sims, the Mariners play-by-play guy who was just on the show a few weeks ago, Dave and I are standing over by the batting cages just watching Ichiro take BP. And I'm watching Ichiro at age 49. I'm just having like a pinch me is this real kind of moment from my childhood watching one of the all-time greats. And I said, Dave, someone needs to make this spring training hard knocks show. And he's just like, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. Like, yes, like sign me up. So I want to see it done with baseball too. I, I, man, I think it should be done um, from an organization perspective. Like you check them with double A and triple A and that way, because I feel like, you know, myself included, don't fully understand the struggles of people trying to make it. Uh, it's almost like a um, um, last chance you with a uh, hard knocks almost combined where you check on each level. Cause I think that would be awesome. Cause like I've heard stories, but I've never actually been there. I don't, I don't know too much about it, but I can't imagine it'd be a pretty cool watch. Yeah. I totally think that, that would be a great move for baseball. And the key here also is make sure you put it on Netflix. If you're putting it on Peacock, if you're putting it on Apple TV, not that that many people are going to watch it. Now, there are some platforms such as Paramount Plus who sponsors this show. Paramount Plus is good. You can go to jackvita.com slash Paramount Plus, get a subscription. But even Paramount Plus isn't going to have the same kind of cultural sway as a Netflix. So, um Get it on Netflix. And the other thing that's funny, too, is Amazon has a gigantic subscriber base, too. But Amazon has a gigantic subscriber base because people use Prime. So not that many people are even using it for the video. They just get that with the experience. Netflix is the hub. Get that show on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Household name. And I think that the full swing show, it hasn't even been out for that long, but more and more people are going to watch it. That's the other nice thing about streaming is it's going to be out there. So more people, I've, I've only seen the first episode. I watched it when I was living out in Arizona with John actually. And we, we had a great time out there, but this is like, um, I, I mean, I'm going to watch it. I'm really, I'm into it and it's going to be something. There's going to be another season. My sister, you mentioned the ladies, my sister is a huge sports girl. Hasn't swung a golf club in years. Got really into full swing. We're playing golf tomorrow. How about that? There we go. There we go. And also should add this on too. Full swing still filming for season two. They they filmed throughout all this merger and everything. <laughs> and producers have even tweeted saying, "Oh yeah, you bet we were filming uh, when all this went down." So that's going to be insane. It's going to be a great watch. So now it's the U.S. Open. It's great timing. Uh, U.S. Open this year, Garrett. Where is it happening, and who are your favorites? So Los Angeles Country Club, very huge uh, 
big place, West Coast. West Coast U.S. Opens tend to be a little bit different than traditional U.S. Opens. Um, they had a recent renovation by Gil Hance, who's a kind of a golf purist as an architect. Um, he's known for using the area's surroundings. He doesn't like to change the environment very much, but he is an expert at drainage, which means this course will be fast and firm. And that's going to be the main defense of the course. Traditional U.S. Opens, you think of very tight fairways, very narrow green, uh, greens, have to hit your marks, almost like target golf, if you will. Um, this week, fairways are kind of open. The par threes range from, I think it's 80 all the way up to 290 yards. Um, so it's really going to be – traditional U.S. Opens, you know bogeys and doubles are going to happen. And so you just got to keep it out of your mind if you make a double – that you're screwed because you can get right back into it easily. Big numbers are traditionally going to happen. So it's really about the guy who battles and stays in there the longest. Um, I'm almost intent to say the traditional Scotty Scheffler. Um, is the favorite. Know, the, the hot names right now. I'm going with Max Homa because he won the 2012 or 2013 Pac-12 championship there. Um, now it's a different course. Oh, that's a great but- call. Yeah, he he's he's won there now. Grant, it's a different golf course now, but he's a West Coast kid playing a West Cal Coast golf course. Yep, um, I'm going with Rory. He's on a cold streak, but Rory, in a recent interview, said how much he loves West Coast U.S. Opens. Um, I mean, Tory Pines have one. Um, you've had a few in the past that have just produced great results. Um, Tyrrell Hatton keeps getting thrown around Englishman. He's a great ball striker. Um, I don't know if he has the experience. He's he's a great ball striker, but he's also an emotional player. So I'm not going to actually go with him. I want to go with him. Um, Justin Rose, another previous U.S. Open champ at Marion. I think that was like a decade ago, which is crazy. Um, he's yeah. a good pick. Um, but... I mean, in the end, it's hard to go against consistency with um, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler. Some guys are even saying Ricky Fowler. I, my favorite flat out is going to be Max Homa. That's my top pick. Um, he's hitting seen... it well. Go ahead. Sorry. He's hitting it well. Um, his coach is from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, um, okay. We like that. We do like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's got a chill attitude. He just had a baby. Uh, he's married. He's got no one to impress. He's just going to go out there and have fun. So that's my pick. So have you seen his Sunday conversation with Caleb Presley? Yes. Comical. Oh, amazing. That's I knew, like... Ca- man, I knew Caleb was going to bring up, oh, women can't drive. And like, <laughs> I mean, he just, and I'm sure Max knew that too, but he just, I, he sounded kind of nervous in the situation. So it's almost like Caleb backdoored his way in, in there. <laughs> hilarious man (laughs) oh man we should do our own version of the sunday conversation we should man but we're not (laughs) as funny as caleb no no gosh man i mean i feel like no i i I say that jokingly because i feel like people want to imitate it now because that's i mean that's become a pop pop culture phenomenon and it's like you can't you can't replicate that like that's no man no you can't it's so hilarious and you could tell like all of it's like off the cuff improv and how Caleb doesn't laugh in the middle of that. I have no idea, man. He makes that face where he's just kind of like, yeah, I know it's like, he's trying to laugh, but he knows he's not going to. It's, 
I think it's the other thing. I think it's the opposite. He's trying to keep himself from laughing. Like he looks like he's about to like start laughing. Sorry. That's what I meant. Like he he wants to laugh, but he's like trying to keep himself. not. He's like, (laughs) he squints too. That's so funny, man. (laughs) It's so funny. Hey, what's a good, uh, speaking of us open, any us opens of the past that just kind of stick out to you as being extremely memorable. Cause there's one for me that I remember being my all time favorite, Maybe my favorite golf tournament as a fan. Uh, Chambers Bay and, and Marion. Chambers Bay in 2016, another West Coast Open, um, because the players, I mean, it was so tight and so firm. I mean, the players said that you couldn't tell the difference between the fairway and the green. Um, was that the and, one Dustin won? Uh, Spieth won. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dustin should have won, but he three-putted the 72nd hole. Um, and Spieth won, and then Marion, the one that Justin Rose won in 2013 and 2012, because it's not a long golf course. And I mean, they had a par three that was 115 yards that played as one of the toughest holes of the week. And I, as a traditionalist, I'm a guy that puts a premium on ball striking, which means you sh- it's not just bomb and gouge who sh- who hits it the farthest. It's hey, if if you don't hit this spot on the green, you are screwed. You're going to three putt, and it's all about placement and that's what i like and i think this us open is gonna be similar but i'm curious to hear what yours is well i looked it up 2016 you're thinking of 2015 oh okay i was like i thought i thought dustin won in 2016 he did he won in Pennsylvania. yes yeah yeah um but that was a great one too, the one you mentioned with spieth winning and that was really like the start of sort of the spieth era so to speak uh my favorite though goes back to it was a summer after i finished eighth grade going into my freshman year of high school 2008 u.s open at tory pines yeah tiger tears his acl wins the tournament on the on the bad knee comes back to beat uh rocco mediate which was and then the the course rules some people might not know is if you have a tiebreaker you don't play a tiebreaker hole. 18 you, hole playoff. Yep. Yeah. So they played a whole nother day. So they played Tiger on a bad knee, played 90 holes of golf and won. So that's a uh, USGA rule. So every US, um, mm-hmm. it wasn't just course, but every US yeah. Open, it's 18 hole playoff. And so okay. that's good. Glad you're here so to that's, clarify these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, again, I'm I'm not used to being in a sports frame where I know just as much as you on this one. So it's <laughs> man, um, but yeah, it's that was incredible. And the fun fact is, Tiger started his week off on hole ten, and he actually double bogeyed his first hole of the tournament. Yeah, he he had to come back. Well, how much was he down by? Because Rocco led most of that tournament. I don't know how much he was down by, but the one thing that sticks out to me is that on that 72nd hole, Tiger was in the rough about that. He laid up on the par yeah. five and Tiger was in the rough on the right hand side. And Stevie Williams, legendary caddy um, from New Zealand, I believe New Zealand. I think it's New Zealand um, or Australia. Either way. Sorry, Kiwis. I got that up, mixed up. Um, anyway. So Tiger was going to hit a certain wedge, and Stevie stopped him basically right before Tiger was about to swing, which you don't do. And Stevie said, no, this grass will actually cause the ball to jump, which means it'll carry a further distance because it has less spin on it. So Tiger actually clubbed down, 
and hit a lesser wedge. And that's what got the ball to where it was when you made that putt. And, you know, as a golf fanatic, as it being a career, watching that display go down with professionalism of Stevie did his research on the type of grass and he predicted exactly what shot Tiger should hit. I mean, that's, that's as professional as it gets, which is awesome. That's, I know that the putt is sexy. Everyone remembers the fist bumps and Tiger's leg. That's what I remember about that. Yeah, I think there was an F yeah in there too. After yeah, made the oh, putt. there there were a few. There were a few of them. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that was one of. Th- I remember that was a time where I felt extremely motivated to get good at golf, and I think that happens with people when they. I remember the one the tournament you mentioned in 2015. That was when I was kind of towards the, I was in midway through college and I had friends who were like taking golf lessons because they wanted to be like Jordan Spieth. And now I think the two things that we mentioned earlier that are the cultural drivers is that show on Netflix paired with the live and the energy of the live. And then, like you said, I'm glad you brought up the COVID thing. Like that is something I hadn't really thought about, but it's 100% true because in 2020, that was one of the few activities that you actually were allowed to do. Like we couldn't play disc golf because they took out all of the disc uh, chains or the holes, really all of the metal holes. They took all of the nets off of the basketball. Well, they took, they put something over the rims of the basketball courts of the park and they took off all the nets of the tennis courts. So golf was for whatever reason, um, the first thing that you were able to really do. And a lot of people started picking that up as a hobby. And when more people are playing that sport, more people are going to be interested in watching that sport. Yep. And it was, um, I mean, that's the funny thing is that year by year, the biggest growth in golf and from an industry standpoint is not new players It's players. I call them lax players, players that used to play dropped it for whatever reason, work kids, life in general, and then pick it back up later on. And that really brought out that player. I don't know the exact percentages, but most of the people that I talk to that I give lessons to now, like, yeah, I used to play, then I had kids and COVID happened and we had nothing to do. So we play golf as a family and it just caused the game to explode. Now I was one of those sort of lax players. I mean, I feel like the last several years, I really only actually gotten out on the course and played a couple of times, I would go to the driving range a lot. Um, and my previous thought was, I'm going to practice a lot at the range. And then when I actually play, I'll play better. Well, I'm playing more now. I've probably played like five or six rounds and it just started warming up like a month ago. So like, that's, that's a good amount if you live in Chicago. Um, and I'm playing better by just playing and practicing less playing more rounds, more situations, having there are a lot of times when you're on the driving range or you don't really, you're not really aiming at a certain green or whatever. It's just the situations and putting, responding to the pressure and all of that. Well, there's no substitute for playing. When I worked at Quail Hollow in Charlotte, 2014, 2015, um, I mean, I played every day and that was the best I've ever played in my career because you're not, when you tend to practice so much, it's a uh, kind of a rehearsal mindset of yeah. trying to ingrain a certain technique, but that doesn't always show itself on the course because you're, you're reacting to a target on the golf course. 
And even though you're on the range, there's no, there's no target because you could say you're aiming at a flag, but there's no significance to that target because if you miss the flag, you're still landing it on the range. Of course, there's actual pressure. Yeah. And that's why I tell my students, man, like just even if you're working on something, just go out there and play as much as you can. And there's no substitute for that. And that is the best way to get better in my mind. Another way that you can get better in addition to taking lessons with Garrett is having your clubs fitted because I've been using my dad's hand-me-downs for quite a while. And eventually, oh, yeah. eventually I'm going to get fitted for some new pings because I'm, you know, my dad's six one and I'm five eleven, so it's a couple. He's a couple inches taller than me, so he was just sort of like take the same thing as I do. Well, I got fitted for a driver uh, a couple months ago. Got a new ping, uh, four twenty five uh, driver. Got a harder shaft, the right uh, angle, like a ten and a half angle, and all of a sudden now my drives not only do they go straight, they go further put investing in the right clubs and clubs that fit you is extremely important. And that's somewhere where Garrett can come in and help you. Yeah. It's uh man. You'd be amazed at how many people are playing the extremely wrong <laughs> clubs for a man. Like the perfect example I like to give is John Daly. Everyone knows John <laughs> Daly's swing. Nobody knows why John Daly swings the way that he swings. Well, his first club, was his daddy's cut down three iron. I think it was. And when he was a toddler and he held it, it was so heavy, he had to swing way across the line because it was the only way he knew how to handle the weight. So arguably, if John was fitted when he was four or three, whenever he picked it up, his swing would look way different than what it does right now. And that's, I mean, I, I like to think I'm good at teaching, but I I know I'm good at fitting. And it's it's something that, it's highly overlooked because I know when I first started playing, I remember thinking someone told me to play a different golf ball than what I was playing. I was like, it's a golf ball. How much does it matter? Well, it matters a ton. You've got compression, you've got spin, you've got all this stuff going on that pairs well with your swing and your goals. Fitting's the same way times a hundred. Uh, you know, when I first got into business and my first golf job in 2012, there were like five stiff options now there's like 45 and they all do a different thing based off of your goals or whatever you're looking for and whatever type of driver head uh you have or kind of course you play like anything man and so yeah fitting is highly highly crucial very important i've been telling it to a lot of guys because i got i mean like i've got some friends who it's another thing i mean i've spent a lot of time in arizona over the past year and if you live in a place like Arizona, you're going to maybe maybe not everybody, but a lot of people are going to invest more in golf because they can play year round and they've got great courses there. And it's a great way that you can spend time with people. So one of my friends, uh, Chase Beebe, Chase and I went to the PGA Superstore just to kind of walk around because we had gotten breakfast at Snooze um, when I was out there right before I came home back in April and I was telling Chase because Chase hasn't played at all. I'm like, Chase, you need to take lessons, but you also need to make sure your clubs fit you properly because you're going to be much, much better at golf. It's going to be easier for you if you're swinging clubs that are the right size for you. And it's like, that's another thing, like not just the drivers, but think about the, 
the wedges and what angle you're you're holding that wedge as opposed to how you should be holding it because the club doesn't fit you. Yeah, man, it's it's all different. And uh, like I do a bunch of putter fittings too, and putter fittings at Pebble Harvest is kind of our bread and butter. And you know, the best stat I know to give to people is that over a 2019 season on the PGA tour between 74 and 78% of every shot hit by every player on that tour was made with three clubs, driver, some sort of wedge and a putter. Yet everyone gets hit for driver, even though you only hit it up to 14 times around. Uh, hardly anyone gets fit for wedges or putter, which you use for 70% of your round. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's, that's something that people will tend to overlook. And I would just say if, if you're nervous about getting fit, it's easy to do. Uh, but what I would do is I would ask as many questions to your fitter as possible. And if they can't answer them completely without sounding like they're trying to tell you something, go somewhere else. Um, because more than likely there, there are a lot like in every industry where a lot of guys will kind of fake it till they make it. Um, so you have to, it's not just about getting fit. You have to find the right fitter. Who's not tied in. Like I play strict on with everything. Um, I'm a Team Strixon member. I'm also open about being a Team Strixon member. One of my lines that I use when I fit say, hey, by the way, I'm completely biased because I play Strixon. So if I speak overly positive about a certain brand or about a certain club that Strixon offers is because I'm biased. Now, the numbers may show that's the best thing for you, but I just want you to know ahead of time that I'm completely biased because what I tell people is that my job is not to sell you something. My job is to make you better. If selling you something is part of that process, great. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But you have to have a fitter that has that process in mind that they're not just trying to get you out of the door with a sale. They're trying to make you better. And so I would encourage people to pursue that route too of, hey, make sure you know who's fitting you and what their goal is when they are fitting you. And if you live in Alabama, you live in the South, Come, Come on, baby. Hear it. Come on. Pebble Hurst, shameless plug. We're back. Give your plug. Yeah, so uh, I work. I'm the uh, director of golf and director of instruction um, at Pebblehurst. Sorry, Jack. Hold on. Um, <laughs> right in the middle of all that. Um, director of instruction and director of golf at Pebblehurst Golf and Putter Lab in Homewood, Alabama, a suburb of Birmingham. Um, eight, shoot, over nine years of experience in private golf now. Um, so we're, uh, I call it a mom and pop shop. It's me and the owner that work there full time. Uh, we specialize in basically everything that no one else in the area carries. And if you've played golf before, you've probably heard of Peter Millar. It's a big brand in golf. And we like to say that we love Peter Millar, but we'll never carry it because everyone else in the area has it. Um, so we carry a lot of Linksole, Grayson, G4, Cricket. Uh, we specialize in brands you've never heard of, but we also have access to brands that you have heard of. So we've got everything there too. Um, so you should come on by. Sounds good. I need to come out there sometime. I still haven't made it out there yet. Yeah, you do, man. You do. It's, uh, I mean, <laughs> make sure, as much as I hate to say this, make sure to schedule time because we're getting super busy. Man. <laughs> but yeah, please come. <laughs> that would be so funny. I just show up and Garrett's like, Jack, I love you, man. I'm sorry, but I've got like five guys who are about to come through here. <laughs> Dude, like I like today's a perfect example. I checked my schedule at 530 this morning. I had four appointments from 530, or, excuse me, from uh, 930 to 530. 
And I was like, sick. It's going to be an easy day. Like, I love what I do, but don't get me wrong. This time of year, I appreciate easy days. I go into the shop at nine and I'm booked solid from open to close. Well, I, so I, I previously last week, I, I'm starting to book like an hour lunchtime now because I didn't have a break. Well, today, one of our VIP customers, if you will, came in and was like, hey, I need a putter fitting. I'm like, well, let's do it. And it happened to be during my lunchtime. So it's one of those things where, again, it, it, it's a blessing. It's definitely would prefer this and the alternative. But yeah, man, we're just uh, rocking and rolling. And I think it's because we have a great team and a great product. So before we go, Garrett, you, you play Strixon ball. What are you using for a putter wedges driver? Uh, so my putter is made by uh, a guy named Josie, part of Mac Made Workshop, and he's local. He's uh, born and raised in, or uh, he was born and raised in Tennessee, but he lives in North Alabama now. Uh, it's a custom putter. It's got a cross on the top, bullet casings on the back, and Birmingham skyline on the bottom. So it's uh, it's me to a T. Um, wedges, I am Cleveland, uh, which is part of the Dunlap Golf, which owns Strixon and Cleveland. Um, contracted with them, but I do enjoy their wedges. I am biased. Um, <laughs> irons, I play the Strixon ZX7s, which is kind of a muscle back iron. Again, I'm biased, but I love them. Uh, Strixon Z-Star Diamond Ball, which is the same ball that Kepka uses, and Strixon Woods as well. Very cool. And your pick, again, for the U.S. Open, Who one pick, who is it? Max Homa, Max previous Homa, winner, right. yep. 2013 Pac-12 championship. So, yeah. I'm going to pull up the – I think that's a great pick. Let me pull, pull up the uh, betting odds here. I'm curious. U.S. Open betting odds. I think he's relatively high because of his previous win there. Yeah. All right. So, uh Yeah, there we go. Okay, so we've got Scotty Scheffler as the odds-on favorite, then John Rahm, Kepka, Hovland, McElroy, Cantley, and then Homa. So Homa is a plus sixteen hundred to win. Taking taking it all day, man. Spieth plus twenty five hundred. Tony Finau, your girlfriend's favorite, plus twenty five hundred. Yep. I love Finau too. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. So, um, I if I'm gonna make a pick, I'll just. I mean, I'm just. This is me making a wild guess. I'm going to go with. Hmm. I'm gonna go with Justin Thomas. Not a bad pick. It's a total of random, random guess. So, do not bet on any of this. <laughs> I'll give you uh, for you just giant betters out there, which I know there's plenty that watch this. I'm kidding. I'm I'm not a big better either, but I would put money on uh, Gordon Sargent. So fun fact: he's an amateur, goes to Vanderbilt. I've actually played with him many times because oh, he was a uh, his dad was a member at Shoal Creek, the club I used to work at. Um, beat him once. Now, granted, he was 14. I was in my mid 20s, but um, he's a stud. He absolutely cranks it. He uh, was at the Masters this year. Unfortunately, did not make the cut, but he freaking bombs it. He's had three wins already this year as a member of the Vandy golf team, so look out for him too. Sweet. 
I'll be, it'll be fun to watch him. Uh, Garrett, is there anything else golf related? I know you don't get to go on sports podcasts too often. Do you have any other takes or anything else you want to talk about today? Uh, Hey, um, do not dial back the golf ball. I don't know if you were aware that was going to happen, but they mentioned USGA, that is. Um, often, you know, I'm biased because I worked a women's open at Shoal in 2018 18 or 17. Um, not a fun organization to work with. They're kind of like our way is the highway kind of thing. But Oh, we love, in, we love those people. Those are the best. Yeah, yeah. They are uh, intent on dialing back the golf ball uh for uh tour professionals but not for amateurs and i think i just think it's an ego check they they hate the fact that scores are lower than they've ever been <coughs> but a good example is you look at weightlifters and track stars they are faster and stronger than they've ever been too so you don't need to dial back those sports uh so don't dial back the golf ball i'm completely against so, it can you explain dialing back the golf ball to those who don't know yeah, so basically the USGA, the United States Golf Association, is saying that golf ball is going too far now and courses are becoming too easy for players. Uh, I believe um, courses are becoming easier, not just because of the golf ball or the equipment, but because players are getting better, players are getting stronger. I mean, Tiger brought in working out, that which was previously unheard of in the golf industry um, for touring pros. And that increased everyone's ability. Um, I think the USGA, if you, if you know about the U.S. Opens and um, just the way the USGA operates, they love U.S. Opens that finish over par. They want plus one, plus two to be the winning score. They want it to be brutal. And I think in recent years that hasn't been the case. Um, and I think it hurts their ego. And I think in turn they want to dial it back. And I just think you, you got Players are better now. They're faster, stronger. They hit it farther. Golf ball or not, um, you got to get used to lower scores. And uh, I'm completely against it because I think, the again, it's about relating to the tour professional. I think the average player can hold a Pro V1 or Pro V1X and say, hey, like, I play the same ball that so-and-so plays on tour. This is pretty cool. I hit the same driver. Spoiler alert, it's not the same driver. It's not the same ball. But you think you're playing the same driver as so-and-so on tour. And I think people can relate to that. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. You, you can't put on the same helmet that Ray Lewis wore for the Ravens and say, Oh, I'm, I'm wearing the same helmet he wore, but you can in theory play the same golf ball as Scotty Scheffler. So I just think get used to lower scores. Players are better overall. They're more um, athletically talented, athletically blessed, whatever word you want to use. So do not dial back the golf ball. So this is similar to what we've seen in Major League Baseball over the last few years, where in 2017, 2019, there were adjustments to the baseball that made it fly off the bat more and then scaled it back. Looked like we were kind of back to what a normal baseball was last year. The ball was deadened. And now this year, the ball's flying off the bat once again. And it, people are thinking that these balls are, quote unquote, juiced. Uh, I have a similar thing. Let's just keep it consistent. It's I if a guy hits a 460 foot home run, I'm gonna be more impressed if I'm not skeptical that the baseball was wound a little tighter so it was expect so it flew off the bat. I'm skeptical 
that would have normally been a 435 foot home run, but it was 460 because of this new baseball. That's basically what we're talking about here. Exactly. It's the same thing. Same thing, man. And it's, I understand a traditionalist point of view with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, let's face it, these tour tournaments are about selling product and selling tickets and entertainment. And I think if you try to dial back DJ, he was hitting at 340 off the tee and make him hit 280 instead. I just think, and also too, man, uh, it's, you, you, let's say you take a guy right now, Kevin Kisner's a great example, you know, top, I think he's a top 50 player, if not definitely a top 75 player. He's not known for hitting a long way. He's a little guy. You take him who's currently driving at like 290 and bump him back to 260. That's a huge deal huge. for that guy. Huge. I mean, difference. that huge. I mean, the USGA is only considering the top half of the field and driving distance. The guys that hit at 330, 320. But what about the guys that hit at 290? I mean, you're you're asking them to take an already they have a six iron in their hand on a long par four on a tour event. Your average tour par four is six, seven iron, give or take. And now they have to hit a four iron where other guys are hitting from wedge to seven iron. I mean, it's still a major disadvantage. So you're not helping anybody out with this. You're just helping out your own ego. So let's just keep it as it is. I agree with you. All right. Well, he's Garrett Powell. Follow him on social media, the social media handles and anything else you want to plug. Go ahead, Garrett. R Garrett P on Instagram and uh, visit pebblehurst.com. And hit the appointments down to book a lesson and or fitting. Garrett, Thanks for having me, Jack. Great having you back. And let's do it again. Either we hit the open championship a month from now. If not, we're only a couple months out from training camp. How about that? <laughs> That's right, man. Let's go. Good time in sports. Right. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks, Jack. All right, y'all. That concludes our conversation today with Garrett Powell talking all things golf. Man, that was fun. I mean, we have done a lot of baseball stuff over the past several months, really. And it's fun to delve into some other sports, which I feel like I haven't gotten a chance to do a whole lot um, recently. I mean, but I have a little more time now to do some more podcasts. So this was great. I've been playing a lot of golf lately, and I think a lot of people are interested in what's going on with the U.S. Uh, with the PGA Tour with the U.S. Open. So thank you guys for tuning in. As you can tell, I got some things wrong today. I'm glad Garrett was here to correct me and make sure that all of the information was correct. It was a lot of fun, again, talking with him, and I'm certain we'll speak with him again sometime in the not-too-distant future. I'm on social media, at Jack Vita Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Guys, if you're checking out the show, lately I've been having some issues with my Facebook account. I believe I've been shadow banned. I don't know what's going on. People aren't seeing my posts. So if you are finding this podcast and you're listening, please hit subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you are getting this podcast. Make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out and you can support this show by doing that. Turn on those notifications if you're watching it on YouTube. We will be back later this week with a fun conversation with uh, Brooke Struck Stevens from Survivor Guatemala. Had a great conversation with her last week. We taped it already. We have a surprise guest joining us for a short bit. It's going to be fun. 
Make sure you guys don't miss that. And then we'll be back uh, with more reality TV content uh, next week with Michael Davidson from the traders talking about his experiences on that show. So little survivor, a little bit of traders, and then we're also going to have, I'm certain we'll have a baseball show coming out sometime in the next week or so uh, with the college world series, man, we did a show last week covering college world series and who are some of these players that you should watch in this tournament. Uh, it's going to be a great tournament. So, and who's going to be playing in like future MLB draft picks that you can watch in the college world series. I did that with the legendary Jim Callis. So lots of great content here. Lots more coming soon. And until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>